Hi everyone, a brief warning that this contains spoilers. That's right, spoilers for everything Pasithea Powder has ever done. Enjoy. Hi listeners, we're here for the season two Q&A. We have not prepared this at all. No, we're not. <laughs> this is, we're going in cold. Um, yes. Also, hi, I'm Molly Olgeen. <laughs> I'm Jackie Hedeman. Uh, and we are uh, your your helmsmen. We're, we're driving this boat um, somewhere. We're your cruise directors. Yes. <laughs> and uh, you very generously sent in so many amazing questions. We're going to try to get to them all. We're um, going to. So we're going to get to them all even we're if we're here it. for four hours. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We are doing it. It's happening. <laughs> Hello. Okay. We, um, I, we have grouped these questions into like three, I think there were three flavors yes. of questions. Yes, definitely. When we were looking at the questions you sent in. There were questions about writing. There were questions about production. And everyone's favorite, you had character questions. Um, Just the best. So we'll end with those because we don't want to, you know, like give you what you want up front. <laughs> um, <laughs> also, uh, for those of you who sent in your names, we're going to try to say your names. But if we pronounce them wrong, we are sorry in advance. We're, we're just doing our best here. <laughs> exactly. Um, so let's start with a writing question from Leone or Leone. Um, how does the writing process work? Do you write and record one episode at a time? Do you have certain characters you wrote for, etc.? Um, so basically any time that you have like a Jane chunk where like Jane is monologuing or Jane is like talking to people, uh, that's something I wrote. Um, and pretty much any time you have a Sophie chunk where Sophie is talking to people, that is something that Jackie wrote. Uh, do you want to talk about the weird exceptions? Yes, the weird exceptions were, I would say, I have not verified this, but basically like the back half of season two, mm -hmm. where it was less monologue heavy and more um, dialogue heavy, we just sort of broke these down in our outline into major scenes and just alternated who wrote what scene. Um, with very little sort of, I mean, if there was like still a kind of a Jane driven scene, we would work it out so that Molly wrote that scene. But that meant that I sometimes wrote Jane. She sometimes wrote Sophie. It, it shook out that way. Um, and then when we meet, uh, so we have a weekly production meeting and uh, we each write something for that production meeting. Um, and then we read it and we go over it together. And then, uh, we would make any changes if, like, I had written Sophie, Jackie would be like, oh, you need to swear more to make it more Sophie. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and uh, things like that. <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, oh, and then also along with that, uh, obviously, since we meet the sort of ancillary characters within the monologues of Jane and Sophie, I usually write Agent Cullen, you know, Molly usually writes Moreau. Yes. That kind of thing. Um exceptions apply i mean blanc was my guy all through season one and then you got what i think is the iconic blanc monologue in season two so i was so happy <laughs> <laughs> but we'll get to that um oh and to address the recording part uh we we don't record one episode uh write and record one episode at a time at all we're um 
very much working on uh, lots of episodes at the same time. Um, we're always writing many episodes, hopefully many episodes, sometimes several episodes ahead of what we're recording. Um, <laughs> but like because we have a pretty slow release schedule, we only release one episode a month, we're always months ahead of uh, what you actually hear. Um, and so... Mm-hmm. It's it's very rarely like uh, as concrete as like oh we're we're gonna write this and then we're gonna record it immediately after it's like we're gonna write this and then several months later maybe we'll record it and then several months after that it'll come out. It is always we're always writing, recording, and editing. Yes, at the same time, but never the same episode. And you are the only one who has to do the editing part, so you have the most <laughs> challenges in juggling. Wait. What what's going on at any given time? And thank God. <laughs> it does help sometimes to be like, oh, that's the mood Sophie was in. <laughs> Good to know. Um, totally. Uh, our next question is from an anonymous. Um, anonymous asks, how did any story writing or narrative decisions for episode 16, Bad Idea, get made? Like, how did you decide to turn your slow burn into a very sudden wildfire? In a broader sense, how did you drop the different beats of their relationship and the fundamental issues they have with each other? Then there's a linked question that I'll just throw into the pot for us to answer at the same time, also from Leonie. Um, what was the moment for Sophie and Jane when they realized they were more than just friends? Mm. These might actually be separate. I thought they were similar when I was looking at these questions. They're, but, they're uh, related. I'm, I'm so excited to talk about this. <laughs> you, yes. You first, you yes. <laughs> okay. Um, how did any story writing or narrative decisions for episode 16 get made? Um, from the beginning, we knew that we wanted Jane and Sophie to, I will say, get together. And when I say get together, I mean within the context of season two, mm-hmm. we wanted them to sleep together within season two. Um, and when we approached episode 16, Bad Idea, we knew that there were conversations that they had to have or not or choose actively not to have Mm -hmm. in order for that to happen and so um if the slow burn turned into a very sudden wildfire it was basically down to uh jane and sophie's inability to have half of those conversations (laughs) while choosing to sort of skirt around the others um and and i would also say it's it's true that like in season one like they're also not letting themselves think about what they mean to each other in like really significant, big cognitive dissonance ways. Right. Yeah. And so like we had talked about episode 11 at one point, I think like, Oh, is episode 11 going to be like more of like a realization or like confession between Jane and Sophie in some way? Like we talked about maybe, am I remembering this right? That we had talked about them having a kiss in episode 11. Yes. Yes. And I, they might actually like, it's not clear. I think very <laughs> early on we were like, they hook up in episode 11. Oh my God. Really? Oh yes. That would have been wild. <laughs> that would have been just completely nuts. Um, yeah. So that's one of the things there's been a couple things that like we had originally outlined, like very preliminarily at ha- as happening at a certain time that got kind of pushed back because they weren't ready or as you say, the character beats weren't lined up yet. Um, And like, uh, so to, to address the like wildfire out of the slow burn, like I think 
it's like a house fire, not a wildfire. Yes. Um, yes. And with house fires, this is a terrifying fact about house fires, so uh, just know that. I don't know. If you don't want to know terrifying house fire things, uh, hold your ears or put your hands over your ears. Um, but in a house fire, uh, you have to call the firefighters if there's like a kitchen fire um, or like if there is some kind of fire, even if you put it out, if it's like been near the floor or the wall I think because it can get inside the wall and you might not know that it's burning at all but it could be like much closer to engulfing the house if it's like inside the walls obviously and like spreading throughout the entire structure but you can't see it and I think Mm -hmm. it's not like a it's not like you know something that was smoldering all throughout season one I think it was like oh all throughout season one it started heating up and oh my gosh the entire structure suddenly like is revealed to have been like pretty much burned out um by the time we get to episode 16 um and yeah yeah <laughs> is that yeah too yeah a metaphor? exactly no i think that's an excellent metaphor <laughs> a creepy one but excellent <laughs> and also i think uh yeah it's still in the wall like yeah right oh god no they <laughs> they're like the house is burning down but they're also like the dog with the coffee who's like it's fine like (laughs) exactly (laughs) i think too when i like i don't think when i purely i only i think about this just now i've never really thought about this particular thought or articulated it i guess is what i'm trying to say but uh i think it's rare in narratives that i've consumed to have an incident like episode 16 happen and then not have that be like the culmination or like not have that be like a enormous relationship turning point Mm -hmm. and it is but it's very uh subsumed to other things i think like we see that in episode 16 right like they yeah. they hook up and like that's uh that's exciting for them obviously they're happy about that but the emotional the, the the revelation of that episode isn't oh hey we like each other and we want to sleep together the revelation is that Jane can't sit there and listen to Sophie talk about Evelyn after having slept with her and like yeah. she can't yeah. do the relationship because of that right like that's we should also state right now, I mean, it should be obvious you're listening to this after you listen to the final episode of season two, hopefully, but this contains spoilers for everything we've ever done. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, no spoilers I'll add something three. to the top, but I am not editing this out. <laughs> um, also, I feel very French. I was like, oh, it's fine if we talk about them sleeping together, but we cannot talk about Sophie killing Evelyn without a spoiler warning. <laughs> Don't listen to the Q and A before you listen to the season. That yeah, good advice, listeners. <laughs> um, how about what was the moment for Sophie and Jane when they realized they were more than just friends? Oh God. Uh. I think it's a different moment for Jane than for Sophie. Yeah, and I'm try. I honestly. I think for Sophie, it came in waves. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that she knew on some level that she was attracted to Jane. Mm -hmm. 
before like I think that happened a couple times like I think that happened when they were in college but she didn't acknowledge it Mm -hmm. and then she pretended like it never happened (laughs) during the war Um, and then during this slow burn that we've all been privy to I think I think it was when she you know shot or you know when the other that was not Jane was shot by the PSA in front of her I think there was a little jolt of like I don't want this to happen oh oh I love that yeah I think it's also waves for Jane but like the waves are slightly different right Mm -hmm. like I think in high school and early college she was very jealous of Sophie um Mm -hmm. and in that like kind of classic uh I don't know both like I think this is like a very queer experience but also just a very rom-com experience like uh experiencing jealousy and kind of not like mistaking one kind of like oh I'm upset about this person because they're so beautiful and they're so compelling that they like have the attention of someone else that I like but also then you spend a lot of time being like, they are just so beautiful and so compelling and it's unfair. Like, yes. That thing, <laughs> yes. Right? yes. Um, but I, I don't think that like it turned into realizing they were more than friends. I, <sighs> That's an interesting phrasing. Cause I also like not to cut you off entirely, no, no, but uh, I think for Sophie, the realization that they are friends <laughs> And the realization that they're more than friends are pretty much simultaneous um, just because of who she is, but also because she had that like grounding in how she was starting to look at Jane, even when she was still dating Evelyn in college. Totally. I think like, well, okay, the worst answer, I think, which is maybe evidence that this is the right answer for when Jane could have realized that... uh, she had some kind of feelings for Sophie that were about Sophie herself um, would be like the time that Sophie asked her to give her Pasathea the first time. Yeah. Oh shit. (laughs) I don't know if that's necessarily it, but like, I think that's a moment where I could see her having that realization. I know she knows by the time we get to the evidence, like that's very clear. Um, yeah yes but like I think there was some moment there of like because that's it's such a violent moment with both of them right like it's Mm -hmm. it's this violence for Sophie to ask Jane to do it specifically Jane um yeah it's it's horribly traumatic for her to ask that of Jane and it's horribly traumatic for Jane to do that to Sophie right seriously yes and I think like in that kind of like in that moment of like being not like maliciously but I think objectively cruel to each other there's like a kind of intimacy in that and like Mm -hmm. I can see that being this like big burning moment for Jane even if she didn't like put it into context until later yeah totally that makes so much sense that also kind of pink I mean talk about like putting into context I think like Complicating my answer to this for Sophie is the fact that, like, Sophie 
does not view sex as something that only happens with people that she is like emotionally intimate with. Mm, yep. And so I think that also complicates like tracking this a little bit. Totally, totally. Um oh, okay. This is But yeah. moving right <laughs> along. Oh god, here we go. Here we have two linked questions. The first is from Anonymous. At what point in writing out the plot did you decide that Sophie had killed Evelyn? Was it your starting point or a more recent decision? And then Cloudy asks, how far into creating the series did you know that Sophie was involved in Evelyn's death? Okay, so I love this question because the answer is not immediately, but really early. Um, Yes. Basically, the first thing that we knew about the show after we were like, oh, here, let's write an epistolary show. That'll be fun. Um, Was we invented Pasithea. And then we were like, oh, well, obviously person A has to have given Pasithea to person B. And then like what you said initially was, okay, I'm not going to know what Sophie did because Jane knows that. So you decide what it is. And I was like walking around for a couple days, like what horrible thing could Sophie (laughs) possibly have done? And then, like, we came back a couple days later and you were like, oh, I think I know what it is. And I was like, I think I know what it is, too. And it's obviously <laughs> the same answer. <laughs> I, that is exactly how it went down. I will never forget. I, I know exactly where I was on the sidewalk between home and work. Like, listening to Molly's Jane Season 1 playlist. And I was like, oh, Sophie killed Evelyn. <laughs> like, obviously. Obviously. There's only one thing it could be. And... We may have talked about this before in, like, a Patreon Q&A or something, but it brings me so much joy that so many people also figured this out while listening. Oh, my God, yes. Because we didn't mean this to be, like, an unguessable mystery. Absolutely. Um, if you didn't know, that's fine. Like, we're glad that you were surprised. That is also, like, a legitimate <laughs> relationship to the text. But an equally legitimate relationship to the text is, like, obviously this is what happened. I... I- Completely. And I, I, I really do love, like, the reason I think it occurred to both of us as we were working is not just because, like, writing partner brain synergy, but also because it is just the worst thing Sophie could have done. And, like, yes. as listeners, you you know that, too. What is the worst thing Sophie could have done? Oh, that. Like, I, yeah. I think that that's, um, that's just, like, a, the inevitability of it is something that's I, it's something I really like. Yeah, yeah. Good questions. Great questions. Uh, The next one. You mentioned in the previous Q&A that you wanted each season to be able to stand on its own. So that being said, what elements of season two had you already mapped out during season one? And what was added when you started to break it down? And somewhat related to the first question, given you said season three will be the last, have you always known how you wanted to end the series? Or was that dependent on how many seasons you got? I love this question for so many reasons, but I want to be, like, very, like, narrow in my love initially. I love the phrase, how many seasons you got. (laughs) I am not making fun of you, Anon. Like, I just love that, like, image of, like, me with a tie on and Molly being like, can we have three seasons? (laughs) And me being like, yes. Or vice versa. I mean, I did joke, like, to, like, my group chat, like, oh, had my production meeting and we got renewed. Like... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But in some ways, in some ways, this phrasing is actually, like, dead on because I think 
as we have discussed before, like we did want it to stand on its own. We want it to be something that is um, coherent and kind of naturally unfolding mm. and not open ended in the sense of like a lot of TV shows that we have loved over the years just like get worse um, <laughs> because they don't have an end yes. that they are working towards. Uh, uh, American television. Yes. <laughs> right. Um, so, uh, we have always known that we wanted to end the series and we have known loosely, very loosely, sort of what things were still in the future. But I think season three at the beginning of season one was just like a total blank. Yes. Like, Completely. I think that's fair to say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, we certainly did not know anything that was going to happen in season three. Uh, when we were yeah, let alone one. half of season two, frankly. I um, had a very different yeah. idea until about halfway through season two of what season three was going to be. And then, yeah. like, uh, like, we're not working uh, without a map. We had a map. Yeah. But um, yeah. we changed the map uh, because we realized, oh, the location we were going to originally was a fine location, but it's not actually the most exciting place for us uh, in terms of where we could go. And so, um, you know, you change the map. Uh, Also, I want to segue a little bit um, to talk about wanting each season to be able to stand on its own, because I feel like we kind of went back on that with this season. Yes. (laughs) Yes. uh, Significantly. I I think like we could end uh, the Pasithea powder with the evidence and it would be a satisfying ending. I don't know that we could end the Pasithea powder with <laughs> Sophie has been kidnapped by the others and Jane no. is going off to Medea. No, <laughs> I think like yeah, that is we have we have walked that back. I think part of the reason we walked that back is we started pointing ourselves more intentionally towards season three as a trilogy finale and like Mm -hmm. having done that it was less frightening to end season two on a significant cliffhanger um because we know we're coming back we know we're doing it like we don't want this to be the hour yes any more than we want this to be supernatural it's it's also it's not mitsumoto it's not a season that we have to wait to see if someone's going to renew uh we started working on season three by the time we'd come up with the ending for season two and so yes. it's our empire strikes back, right? It's like, a- exactly. That was, Oh my God. I was just going to say that. Cause I was like, no, it doesn't stand by itself, but yes, it does to the extent that it is the empire strikes back, which I have watched by itself many, many times. <laughs> yes. Yes. Also, I feel like we talked about this in a Patreon Q and a, but I'm going to say again, uh, we definitely rewatched, uh, scenes from empire, uh, to prepare yeah. for bad idea. So, Relisten yep. to that idea and see where Han Solo is, I guess. <laughs> uh-huh. And in the finale, there is a direct Han Solo Princess Leia shout out. Um Yes, yes, there is. Yeah. Alright, next question. Cloudy asks, by the way, thank you, Cloudy, for everything. <laughs> Cloudy asks, how do you decide which adjectives are used to describe <laughs> Jane and Sophie in each intro? <laughs> Cloudy, we do love you. And uh yes. surely by feel, I think is my answer. <laughs> totally. Basically, like, (laughs) whoever, honestly, it's not even, like, that scientific. I was about to say whoever starts, whoever's character starts the episode usually writes the intro, but that is not even the case, because I am very prone to 
just being like insert intro here and launching into Sophie uh, which is good because Sophie usually starts episodes and so I think like it evens out in the end and also uh, yeah honestly I think the adjectives are for me I can only speak for me the adjectives usually have more to do with my own personal mood than they do (laughs) with the mood of the characters um yeah it's like I I think like it's fun to kind of uh, see how far we can go from the beginning I think it's fun sometimes to be like oh well okay like what kinds of melodramatic metaphors have we not used yet (laughs) what kinds of uh, yeah new ways like, also we yeah. are not um we're not afraid of being outfit repeaters no, so not. if we ever do repeat an adjective that's fine <laughs> oh, completely it's it's all uh it's all feelings um yep but yeah uh next question what line <laughs> this is from barbara uh what line or scene are you proudest of from season two I really wish that I had uh, looked at these like 20 minutes before we sat down to record. Um, Which is funny because I've been looking at these questions for like two weeks now, but um, damn. It's got to be. Huh. Whoever comes up with this answer first, speak. um, Okay, then I'm going to I'm going to cut in line because. I can't think of a moment that I've written, but because I just talked about it, I, I do think this is one of just hands down the best moments in the show is Blanc's monologue revealing like the big reveal. That is so just incredible. And I'm super proud of it because it was like, you wrote it and you wrote it so beautifully, but also like Colin did such an incredible job acting it. Yep. Colin Kelly, who plays Blanc. Um, and like, I, I think the show builds up to it really well. I think like that, uh, the like fridge horror because like uh, many people did kind of guess uh, that that was the reveal, but like I think the way it's written and the way it's like um, given to us not from Sophie but from Blanc I think is like perfectly horrifying and I really love that. Yeah, you know what? I'll co-sign that. Like I, I think there's a lot of moments I'm proudest of. But I think that one has, like, the purest distillation of, like, all three, like, elements Mm. that I could be proud of. Like, as you said, Colin's performance, just kind of, like, the plotting and then also the writing. Yes, absolutely. Also, I have a a non-serious answer, but I'm going to say it anyway because I do love this line so much. (laughs) It's Eleanor Lopez in that idea going hundreds and hundreds of killer bees. <laughs> I fucking love that. I was just transferring all my files from one computer to another computer, and I found just like a stray audio file that is just her saying that. It's uh, Jackie Andrews, uh, who plays Eleanor Lopez, did like 10 takes where they were like coming up with lots of different, like, possible <laughs> beginnings of that sentence and then endings to that sentence, and it was just absolutely incredible. Oh, oh God! Wait, I have. Okay, you did the you did the moment that I'm proudest of. I want to do the moment that you're proudest of, which is the Moreau Jane mind meld, oh. because that is in the very same episode. And we have said on Patreon that if that were any other episode, that mind meld would be like the show stopping moment that everyone is talking about. It would be just like, oh, that episode with the mind meld. Instead, it's oh, that episode with Agent Block spilling the beans. <laughs> 
Um, episode 18. It's 18, right? That's a, yeah, it is 18. That's a suffer. Uh, I love the mind melt is so fun. The mind melt is just like me indulging myself. Like I, I love anything that's just like, oh, these characters have to like grapple with like identity in a weird way. I love like not knowing where you begin and the other person ends, but having that be like weird and creepy. I love like uh, Vulcans, you know. Yeah, <laughs> basically. <laughs> Um, well, good. Yes. Wait, who is the last person to ask a question? Uh, I think you asked. This. Uh, wait. No, I asked this. <laughs> Barbara asks, did you discover anything unexpected about your characters while creating season two? Ooh. I mean, yeah. Uh, can I think of it right now? Oh, okay. Actually, I was sort of thinking about this earlier because... I was re-listening to like a couple snatches from season one and I was also re-listening to Sophie's season one playlist. And I think, I don't know if this is unexpected plot wise, but I think I became beautifully aware of kind of the numerous facades Sophie had up in season one, Mm. like particularly the first half of season one. I think season two was all about both me and Sophie realizing just how recent the war was and kind of going back to our like World War One inspiration Siegfried Sassoon roots <laughs> with everything and just kind of being like, oh, okay, <laughs> Pasithea aside, she has been telling, she has concocted a narrative about how that went that is not entirely true. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think for Jane... the discoveries I made were really about um, what she's like with a friend in the room. Uh, And so Mm, Moreau being, uh, being there, I think like the second half of the season where like, you know, post mind meld Shane and Moreau, like are undeniably friends regardless of like how weird it is, like what their friendship actually consists of and how they got there. Um, Because like, Jane with Moreau, like, I think in the first half feels a little bit familiar from season one of, like, oh, Jane is reacting with someone antagonistically, and she's, like, uh, got a lot of um, guards up. Jane with a friend who isn't Sophie, who she has this deeply complicated history with, is just, like, she's nerdy. She's, like, obviously Jane is nerdy, but she's so much nerdier and in this, like, goofier (laughs) way when she's talking to Moreau. Like the the like list making and the like I don't know you just get a sense of her as younger I think uh, than mm-hmm. when she's with Sophie or when she has the weight of the world on her shoulders like she just like is a little Rory Gilmore of a person in, in <laughs> a way so. oh, that makes me so happy <laughs> it's so true <laughs> um, okay maybe related uh, Barbara also asks how many times did you literally rub your hands together and cackle. Wonderful question, Barbara. Every single day of my life. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> every single day. Every single moment. We're, I, I feel like I'm often like rubbing my hands together and cackling like about things I've done that I'm about to show to you. 
and then like, yes, I, that's like the most exciting thing is I'm just like ah, I get yeah. to see I get to see you freak out about something. <laughs> this is the thing about having a writing partner because like we like hang on everyone's words when they like tag us on Twitter or Tumblr and like let us know mm-hmm. directly how you felt about it. That's always really exciting. Totally and. I think if I were doing this by myself, I would be even more like, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? But like, we get to go through this whole sort of like, oh my God, I've got this blog monologue and I get to show it to Molly. And it is like, it's like, because we like text pretty frequently throughout the week, but we'll like intentionally not discuss the scenes that we're writing. So we just like, it's like, here you go. Like a cat with a dead mouse. That's exactly what it is. Um, literally after this listeners we're gonna we've written the first couple scenes from the first couple episodes of season two or season three and I am so excited to show you the dead mess that I I'm have. dying I am dying <laughs> I am like I saw that you had I have not looked at the document but I saw that it existed and I was like oh fuck yep, oh yep. fuck uh, same I, I saw the episode title and I freaked out so Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. We're on to production questions now. Oh, but it's your turn. Yes, we are. Oh, yes. Uh, Anon asks, why did you go for 11 episode seasons? Was it because of Spinal Tap? <laughs> <laughs> it was not. I actually don't remember why we chose 11. I think it was an accident. I think that's just when we yeah. got to the end of the plot. and We were like, all right, it, it's here. Yeah. <laughs> I do think there was like a... Te- like a 10 to 13 yes. like vibe where we did want to be like the better BBC shows yeah. and like have that be or like mini like American miniseries I think like I, you know what I think it is I think originally 9 and 10 were supposed to be one episode and then yeah when we got closer to it we were like oh absolutely not <laughs> and so no <laughs> we still wanted to have the real final episode which was the evidence but we were like all right it's an 11 episode season because yeah nine and ten both need room to breathe and then um sticking with 11 episode seasons i am somewhat i don't think we've ever discussed this it was no? just kind of like obviously we will continue to have 11 episode seasons but i would be like obviously yes obviously it has to be even <laughs> no for sure that's just uh i think one of those things that happened by accident but instinct lets you keep going and it, i think it makes sense i think it's nice 11 a fun number it is huh. it's lovely we wouldn't want one to be lopsided um the next question is maybe my favorite in this entire bunch of incredible This questions. is the only one that we texted about in advance. <laughs> I love it so much. Lucas asks, what is your favorite episode in the Pasithea Powder? Also, what is your favorite episode of Hannibal? Lucas, I am so glad you asked. <laughs> oh my god, Lucas. Um... Oh God! It, uh, these are uh, these are equally difficult questions, mm. but for very different reasons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, let's deal with the Pasadena yeah, powder question, and then I would like us to explain our Hannibal yes. origin story it's, a little we're bit. We're going to be a Hannibal podcast for five minutes. You're going to have to bear with us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, my favorite episode of the Pasadena powder. Oh God. <laughs> I think right now it is episode eighteen. The truth. Ooh, um, I love it. For a long time, I think it was, oh God, for a long time, it was like, now I don't remember which one it was. Episode seven, I think from season one, or honestly, like the uh, episode, Evelyn, episode 10, the one Molly wrote, those are faves. 
and the first one, obviously. But I think it's 18, just because I think, like, we are really firing on all cylinders in that one. Yes. And yeah. it's just so significant. I love 18. I think, like, uh, episode 10 comes to mind. And, like, for a long time, that was my favorite because it was just so fun to have Evelyn slash... Well, it wasn't Omicron yet. It was just Evelyn. Uh, yeah. But it was so fun to, like, have him on the page and to, like, then hear Ian Andrews come in and, and be him. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, you know, I, I actually think uh, I'm going to pick another season one episode, but um, not that one. The one that's calling to me right now is the Pasithea Powder, the self-titled one. Ooh. Oh, uh, that is and that's an edgy choice because that is just them arguing. But I love an argument. And also, yes, I loved that was when we have it's okay here's why i love it um yeah it is just them arguing and like it kind of breaks the pattern of like giving updates on other stuff that's happening it's just like yeah we're not progressing the plot we are just like fundamentally arguing not just about like uh, what's at stake which is jane making more pasithea but also like kind of whether they've moved on from the past like yeah jane makes that case you know and it really is a companion. We've definitely talked about this before, not to them, but to each other. It is a companion to the truth. It totally is a companion. Not to in the form, truth. but definitely in function. Well, because at the end we get the bomb. Jane goes, "I did it to you," and like <laughs> that was like the first bomb that we got to drop in the podcast. That like yeah. was one of those we had a plan from the beginning things. Yeah, and, like, I feel like the, the connection between episode eight to episode eighteen is like a perfect arc. It is. God, I just, yeah, shit. Mm hmm. Agree. Okay, Hannibal. Hannibal, <laughs> all right. So the year is 2014. 2014, <laughs> yes. The place is Columbus, Ohio. I have arrived at the Ohio State University <laughs> to start my MFA. Was, Molly has already been there for a yeah, year. Yeah, it's already there. We are on the patio of a very weird restaurant for, like, orientation picnic. Yes. Um, It's, like, too crowded for anyone to sit down. Uh, And so we're all just, like, awkwardly, like, crushed into this, like, standing room only patio. Um, Like, eating chips awkwardly, like, in one hand while you have, like, a drink in the other hand. And you're trying to balance, like, guacamole with a third hand you don't have. Um, Yeah. And... How did we even start talking about Hannibal? I don't remember. So what I don't remember is whether Molly also hosted me like months before when I was trying to decide whether I wanted to go to the program. But that is a totally different story. Um, Hit us up on Patreon. Uh, But um, I don't remember whether you had mentioned Hannibal then. And I was like, follow up, follow up. But what I remember is that when we're on the patio, I was like, I have to make it clear to this woman that I would like to watch Hannibal and also be friends. <laughs> and at this point, I was like, basically just like only wanted to talk about Hannibal. That was the only thing I wanted to talk about or think about because it was when Hannibal was still airing. And so Jackie comes up and she's like, let's watch Hannibal. And I was like, Yes, we will do that. Because I had not watched it yet. So Molly was like, I will rewatch it with you if you start watching it. And I was like, great. So I went to Target and I bought the first season. And then I started watching the first season, but it was kind of slow going by myself. And I was like, can I take you up on your offer? So then like every Wednesday 
for years. Two years, yes. <laughs> Two years, exactly. <laughs> that is years. I would go over to Molly's apartment and the two of us and her roommate would watch Hannibal, which then like turned into watching various Hugh Dancy and or Mads Mikkelsen films. Yes, it was beautiful. We would also, we would get themed uh, wines and desserts that would go with each episode, which was such yes. a delight. But okay, so anyway, Hannibal, kind of the root of our friendship and therefore the root of this podcast. Um, exactly. We would not be talking to you right now if it weren't for Hannibal. God bless Brian Fuller. Um, but I... It really is one of my favorite TV shows of all time. I just... I really, really love it. Um, and favorite episode is a little bit like favorite child because, like, there's so... Like, I really... I, I love almost every episode, like, equally. Um, I would say... There's a couple that, like, really stand out... I love The Wrath of the Lamb. I love the ending, the finale episode. I think that's the perfect ending to the show. And, like, I believe Brian Fuller when he says he had a perfect fourth season lined up. But, God, I'm happy with that as the ending because it's, it's perfect. Um, yeah. And I really, there's, I'm now blanking on the name of it, but, like, the mid-season episode in season three where it's, like, uh, they come back from Italy and Hannibal gives himself up because like he gives himself up like as his act of love but also as his act of absolute cruelty and evil to will like oh yes it's so good oh it's so good but no it's Mitsumono I think Mitsumono is perfect yeah <laughs> yeah I agree I mean seconded I'll tell you which episode is not my favorite it's the one with the bee lady <laughs> I don't remember the title <laughs> I, I like the bee lady um. <laughs> but I think like I, Mitsumono is obviously the best one, or I should say, obviously my favorite one. Um, the image that is stuck in my head, though, is that the eye. eyeball. The eyeball, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say my least favorite moment is, oh, I shouldn't say it. That's going to be disturbing for people to hear on the, I'm not, Yeah, that's okay. gross. Yeah. If you've seen it, you know. The, <laughs> the thing from the first episode where the eyeball happens, and then there's the scene with the running through the corn maze, you know the thing I'm talking about. Yes, yeah. that. But yes. wait, we have to talk about why Mitsumono is so good. We, you, we can cut this if it's too long, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, They're going to hang on our every word. <laughs> in Mitsumono, it is so incredible. If you haven't seen Hannibal, spoilers for Hannibal, sorry. Uh, but it's so freaking good because you have all of the main characters in the same house and how it's set up is that emotional bombs are dropped and then like everyone literally every character is like going to die and they set it up believably it's not Hannibal like you know holding a gun to everyone's head or a knife to everyone's throat it's like different characters have like made choices where it's just like oh no like Alana has been thrown through a window Jack is bleeding out in the pantry Abigail has been brought back to life and yes she's also (laughs) bleeding out in the kitchen and so is Will and Hannibal has to leave because the cops are coming and he's just been revealed as a cannibal serial killer and you just you are worried as as a viewer for all of them because you know it's a show with the villain protagonist so you love Hannibal as much as you love like the actual like you know heroes of the piece and like you you don't want any of them to die you don't want anything bad to happen to to any character and you know they're not all gonna leave that house and it leaves you there it doesn't like give you any reprieve it's just like 
so maybe this is the end of the show. Maybe literally everyone you love just, like, bleeds out in this house. And, like, the Shakespearean stakes of that, plus, like, I, I cannot overstate how freaking cool it is because the emotional bomb is exactly as intense as like the like life and death stakes and so you just feel like oh no like there's like this callback to like the very first episode and you're just like oh it's all been like this like tragic little fairy tale where like they couldn't escape their roles and they all are just doomed to repeat this situation in which you you can't escape this house you can't escape like your your little family and i love it i love it and it's beautiful. It the is. cinematography is off the chain. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Thank you, Lucas. Uh, what a wonderful, what a wonderful segue into this question. <laughs> Marlena asks, what was the hardest scene to record? I'm thinking emotionally, but logistically too. Well, we know which one was yep. logistically hardest to yep. record. Bad <laughs> that idea. was episode 16, Bad Idea. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. Oh. Patreon listeners will have heard us talk about this before, but a quick recap. Um, we cannot figure out how to sing along with the song no. in sync. Like, it took us a really long time to figure out how to do it was that. Ridiculously um, hard. Recording kissing noises is really fucking awkward. Oh, it was uh, horrible. Just, like, dreadful. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was the worst. Um, I'm very happy with how episode 16 turned out, but, like, yes. hands down, like, the worst experience recording it. And it should oh, have no. been the easiest one, because it was just the two yeah. of us, so it should have been the easiest. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but no. <laughs> but no, not at all. Um, uh, emotionally, though, emotionally, what was the hardest scene to record? So... I think, like, well, two things here. One is that I don't really, like, I I, I know some people, like, experience, like, both writing and acting as, like, feeling it themselves what they're putting the characters through. Um, And, like, that's, that's wonderful. That's not really how my brain works. And so when Jane is having a really difficult time emotionally, I'm usually having a great time. Um, Yeah. And so... I don't tend to, like, empathize with Jane in that way. Um, But I would say, like, as an actor, like, there are definitely been moments where I'm like, oh, this is, like, a challenge for me as an actor to, like, be Jane, like, in this moment of, like, uh, devastation. And I would say, like, obviously, we're we're talking about the the penultimate episode. We're talking about the Jane uh, giving Sophie the Pasithea cure. Yeah. Yeah, that was, I mean, I think, like, I think I have two answers, because I think I got used to it. I was, I, it was not uncomfortable or difficult by the time we got to that one for me, but, like, I had, like, three episodes in a row of Sophie, like, crying as, like, the outro (laughs) of the episode, and the first time, I just found it to be just, like, so difficult, because we had not seen her do that before, Mm -hmm. so it wasn't, I had to, like, find what she would sound like or like what her breaking point would be. And that was really difficult. Um, I also think episode 16 was kind of hard for the same reason. Cause we hadn't really seen Sophie like full on romance mm. in action before. And so it was just kind of like finding the levels. Yeah, no, totally. Um, there's a related question, which is 
What was the hardest part about writing and making season two? And what was the most fun part? This is from Barbara. I think my answer to both is the same, um, which is that we had a lot more people in season two. Yes. And that was hands down the most fun part, like meeting these amazing voice actors all over the world Mm -hmm. and just like sharing time with them and like getting their work was just like incredible. Um, But it definitely just meant there were more balls in the air. Yeah. I I'll agree with that, that it was uh, both a significant joy and uh, totally just a thing to juggle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. Here's a couple linked questions, both from Anon. It might be different Anons. I'm not sure. Um, How do you get people on board? How, what is the recording process like? How many times do you rehearse? And then the other question is, what is the acting process like with so many characters, with more characters than just Jane and Sophie this season? Um, that's a really good question. How do you get people on board? We had a casting call yep. for season two. For season two. For season one, uh, we were just uh, tapping our fellow former theater kid nerd friends. Uh, for, yes. for season two, we had a casting call, which was the best. I wish we had been like confident enough in like ourselves as a real podcast to do it for season one even though obviously i love all of the actors that we have but like it was so cool to like it was incredible yeah just absolutely wonderful um and everyone that we've brought on board has been a total delight uh yeah the recording process is uh we have people do uh table reads with us and sometimes we um have them just record it in the moment we're usually recording in that moment because i think we are former theater kids and we like have a background in like oh acting off each other like when we record jane and sophie every time like we're we're acting off each other and we're giving each other direction and that just made sense to us um as we brought more people on board that stopped making sense for every single person um yeah. Because, you know, we have like real actors who are acting in this and they have busy lives and careers. And so And like some nutso time zone oh conflicts also. <laughs> and so we also have opened it up to okay, you can just record lines on your own and send them to us the way that I think most podcasts run things. Yeah. Um yeah. but we we do really value if we can getting to bounce ideas off of people. Totally. How many times do you rehearse? Um, Molly and I, I would say, rehearse the most. It doesn't. It's not always like under the guise of formal rehearsal, but like by the time we record, we've read it through several times. And like, um, you don't read it like you're reading something for school. You you act it. And no. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> but other than that, I think like the people who do table reads with us will do you know two to three read throughs just to kind of like find the beats. Exactly. But, um, that sort of decreased as the season went on and people found their characters and kind of knew how they sounded. Oh, it was. Yeah. Yeah. By the time like Tim Briggs was doing Moreau. I was going to say, we're talking about Tim Briggs. (laughs) Tim Briggs is who we're talking about. And if you're listening to this and you're a Patreon um, supporter at uh, $5 plus, you will have a bonus to this where we sit down and talk with Tim Briggs about all of this and more, including Hamlet. Stay tuned. Um, yeah. Um, uh, oh, great question. Yes. Uh, why are the character playlists you made so amazing? From Barbara again. Natural talent. <laughs> 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 oh, 
I would say by the grace of Vienna Tang. <laughs> We're not like our characters at all. <laughs> uh, yeah. Thank you, Barbara. We love that. <laughs> yep. Um, okay. Uh, here's my first apology. I don't know if you pronounce your name Gio or Joe. I'm going to say Joe. Um, Joe asks, in your collective heads, do you think of Jane and Sophie as... Oh, sorry. We're on to the character questions now. Yeah. This Ooh. is the most exciting one. <laughs> and uh, here we go. In your collective heads, do you think of Jane and Sophie as a romantic pairing or more like college friend you keep sleeping with because you have history and life is complicated? Or both. Or spoilers. And then Joe adds... Also, I want you to know that I despise Baroda right up until the moment I realized we both loathe being called Georgie, 10 out of 10 for relatable obnoxious <laughs> nicknames. Incredible. Absolutely. I hope you tune in to the Patreon extra. Um, and Joe, I think, like, to, to answer your, your question about Jane and Sophie's, like, category, uh, first of all, I do want to say, like, I think you can interpret them in a lot of different ways, and they're all right. Like, uh, yeah. We we are the authors and and we're not dead. We're we're here talking to you, but uh, we we can be yeah. dead when you are thinking about them and like whatever makes the most emotional sense to you is the right answer. Um, yeah, I think for me, they're so giving you my answer, knowing that it's my answer, which is not uh, any more valid than your answer. Um, for me, they're like definitely more than like the college friend you keep sleeping with. Uh, but they're not at this moment as simple, obviously as girlfriends. Um, yeah. And I think that's because there is some other world, um, where they could have, I think been really happy just dating each other. Um, yeah. And I think that that is probably a world where Evelyn went to a different high school. Um. Yeah. <laughs> oh God! Please, someone write that AU, but then don't tell us because we can't read your work. But or we should write that AU. Anyway, go with God. <laughs> uh, what's what's your answer to this? Um, I I think it's similar to yours. I think I definitely I think if the if the binary is romantic pairing or college friend you keep sleeping with, it's definitely romantic pairing. Mm-hmm. Um, in the sense that like. When you talk about, when we talk about plot beats and kind of like character arcs, that is, um, that was on the table. Uh, however, I think, I don't want to rule out college friend, like, I don't think it's either or. Um, That's a good point, yeah. I think they do have, there is something habitual about their relationship that is not quite like, I would not extend to sort of like the kissing and hooking up. But I think, especially at the beginning of season one, I think there is something of the, like, person in your life who you really should have cut out. Um, not for any good reason, but uh, but you keep getting drawn back together. You know, I was doing... So I'm a high school teacher, um, and I, I'm teaching a playwriting class right now, and I did this exercise with my students a couple days ago um, where I asked them to, like come up with a scene that uh, where a character expresses an I love you, like a romantic, platonic, mm. familial, any kind of I love you, um, but can't say it 
And so, like, how do you <sighs> express that without being able to say it? And, like, obviously my students came up with incredible examples. And, like, I was also thinking about this and thinking about, like, what are the best, like, expressions of, like, love that are not said? And obviously some of my favorite expressions of love in fiction are the ones that are not uh, stated outright. And I think that... Yeah. Part of why I love those is that it's it, it can feel true to human experience where like you labeling things is hard, being uh, overt with your feelings is hard. Um, but also because it like gives you room for complexity. It gives you room for just mm-hmm. like, oh, I just have to keep calling this person on the phone. Like, yeah, I logically, logically in season one for Jane. Oh, my God. She should not be taking these calls. Seriously. (laughs) But she does. She keeps taking them and she keeps making them, you know? Yep. 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 Mm. Some things just don't make sense, which is a perfect segue to the next question. Take it away, Molly. (laughs) Uh, this is from Anon. Would Jane and Agent Blanc ever kiss? And why would I want that? What's wrong and all right with me? <laughs> oh, no, I love this. You get my second favorite question award after Lucas. I should not be ranking these. That's a bad idea. No, there is no ranking. It's all, yeah. However, but I love yes. This so great. Um, okay. Uh, I mean, nothing's wrong with you except everything's wrong with you. <laughs> and everything's right with you as well. Um, exactly. I, I, A, I will say, uh, go uh, follow your bliss. Um, yeah. I would say whatever uh, you find exciting or uh, wonderful to think about, then uh, that's, that's delightful. Um, I will say totally upfront, I wrote Blanc in season one to be... Like, I, I wanted him to be like uh, Spike from Buffy, um, but then yeah. he's actually not Spike from Buffy, or he's Spike from Buffy yeah. if Spike from Buffy had uh, made worse choices. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so he's Kylo Ren, right? Um, he's like, he. You can see the version of him that could become like the heroine's um, best friend or reluctant love interest, maybe, um, if that's the the AU that you want to go with. Um, but you also, you know, he's done terrible things and you can't get away from that piece of it. Um, and so the mm-hmm. question is like, well, will this be a, I'm, I'm Spike the, the vampire and I'm going to help Buffy save the world because I really like McDonald's. Um, and yeah. like, or, or whatever the, the line is there. Um, and then like, let that sort of the enemy of my enemy is my friend thing turn into like some kind of villain decayed familiarity. And I was really kind of excited to not do that. I was excited to have Blanc be just as bad as he appears to be. And to... Yeah. In Blanc's head, something else is going on. But that's not what's going Mm -hmm. on for Jane. Um, Mm -hmm. Oh, actually, if you've seen... um, DS9, I think uh, Ducat is like a, a little bit of a, an influence on Blanc. Um, hmm. that's, that's a character who just does exactly the thing that I was trying to explain with Spike, except he actually does it, so he would have been the better comparison to me. <laughs> <laughs> As to your question, Anon, why would I want that? Um, because Molly did a good job. And Colin Killick did a good job. Colin Killick does the best job, yes. <laughs> and also because you're a person of taste. Uh, Speaking of. And that taste is coming up with really fascinating scenarios. 
Okay. The next question is, will there be any more kissing scenes or sex scenes? And then the most amazing combinations of emojis. You know, the fingers pointing together in the side eye. Um, I... Next question! Yeah. Okay, next question. <laughs> Where is Andrews Lee during the entire season? How did he meet Susan? Where was she from Anon? From Anon. Um, this is a really good time to plug the Patreon. Yes, it is. Uh, we do get a little glimpse into, meanwhile, back at the ranch. And by the ranch, we mean at Anders' place. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, would, I would say your, your burning desires can be answered for, is it the $5 tier and up? that one i think that one was the five dollar tearing up let's actually let's plug the patreon a little bit here so um basically the levels on the patreon are one dollar you love us thank you very much we'll thank you on the website um and you get the five dollars yep yep um all of them you get the episodes early and you get thanked on the website uh five dollars in the off months i.e the months after this episode you will receive bonus content um, to tide you over that you will not be charged for. Um, likewise, uh, the $10, the $10 level, you also get bonus content throughout. Occasionally we open that bonus content up to the people at the $5 level, just as like a gesture of love and appreciation, <laughs> but it's not like on any kind of predictable pattern. Yes. We just try to do it like every third or every second time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then $30 and over, you get thanked at the top of the show, as you've noticed, and all the aforementioned perks. So Plus our eternal um, love and devotion, obviously. Exactly. Um, there's never been a better time to join Patreon. I mean, obviously, we hope if you join Patreon now, you'll stick with it for season three, because um, you're about to get really cool bonus content for the next few months until we start season three. And we will not charge you for it. This is just um, the bonus for $5 plus people who have been supporting us the entire time or will support us in the future. Yeah. And this is our way to say thank you for keeping us going and letting us pay our actors. Um, that is such a good plug. Also, uh, we're going to talk about this at the end of the episode, but the bonus content is so cool. You're, yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, but as a little taste, Andrews is doing really well. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, next question. Wait, was it me or was it you? I don't know. I'll ask this one. Yeah, it's me. Um, Anon asks, how did the character of Moreau and their friendship with Jane come about? Why the character of Captain Dunn? Why the character of Salazar? I'll let you take Moreau and I'll do Dunn and Salazar. Um, so Jane leaves the planet, uh, of Cassandra and therefore cannot keep talking to Blanc. And so I needed someone else for Jane to talk to. And like, Moreau is like kind of set up to like remind you of Blanc a little bit at the beginning. And then like, obviously they have many more depths than Blanc does. And, uh, and their relationship ends up being very different. But yeah, Jane needed someone to talk to. So I needed Moreau. Yeah. Um, I think likewise, Salazar... (laughs) and done are an opportunity to sort of see Sophie in a professional context and how she relates to either peers or superiors. Um, and that's, that's mostly Salazar just kind of seeing Sophie in a professional context and also offering up kind of an alternate way of being. Um, if you are not kind of this like, 
BDE hero. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, if you're just like, this is a job, um, and I'm playing it close to the chest, and I am, I am working the system, but I'm not letting the system work me to the same degree that is happening to Sophie. And then Captain Dunn. Um, mm-hmm. Captain Dunn, yeah, I wanted to um, give us someone who does not who what's the metaphor i'm like i'm like i've got like the phrase shit don't stink in my head but then i was trying to like phrase it different whatever captain dunn is not impressed by sophie um because she has been demoted and handed to him um but i also wanted inspired by patrick o'brien's seafaring novels to show kind of what happens when you have a captain who is not particularly good at his job Mm -hmm. and um is uh yeah just not very good at it sophie is such a patrick patrick o'brien creature i love it so much yes she is for more reasons than one is it you or me for the next question it's you uh anon asks how does blanc somehow get slimier with every appearance um colin is crushing it also yes yeah when people are backed into a corner sometimes they reveal themselves yeah. That is about Blanc, not about Colin. <laughs> <laughs> Very much about Blanc. Uh, next question. Okay. Can someone please... Oh, this is anonymous. Can someone please punch Blanc <laughs> and can Eleanor canonically have several ex-wives so I can fill out some spots on my bingo board? <laughs> uh, I think the only answer we can give to that is we'll see what we can do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Oh, likewise, this next question. Uh, Anon asks, very important, will Sophie ever get to bang the queen? We will see what we can do. (laughs) (laughs) Sophie would love it. All right. Anon asks, Jane is always grappling with whether Pasithea is something that ever should have escaped Pandora's box. If you had to put a real life scientific slash technological advancement back into Pandora's box, what would it be? Can't say nuclear power. That's too easy. <laughs> this question is so smart and so good. I yes. should have been also about what a it. good job, like cutting off the thing that I absolutely was gearing up to say. <laughs> what? Oh, nuclear power. No, no, no. Yeah. The nuclear power. Yeah. <laughs> I so when I read this question when it came in, and I was like, "Oh my god, what a great question!" I have to think of something, so I sound really smart. And then I forgot about it until just now, and I did not think of anything in advance. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, oh, Facebook. Ooh, ooh, yeah. No, put that right back in the box. Yeah, we're putting that back in the box. Oh, there's so many things I'd like to put back in the box, but then, like, a lot of them have upsides. So, like, I don't know. What what would be the oh, the best thing? Um, While you're thinking, I will say, yeah. can't say nuclear power, it's too easy, is very apt, because very early on, when we were discussing these characters, like, we were making explicit comparisons between Jane and Richard Feynman. <laughs> And like this sort of what have I unleashed kind of from a scholarly perspective and now it exists in the real world. Uh, I I can't think of like a really great answer. I'm going to like be kicking myself like at 3 a.m. probably when I think of something uh, really good. Um, So I I guess I will just go with, um, I don't know. Oh my God, I thought of a boring answer and then I started monologuing and I forgot the boring answer. 
Oh no! God, that happens to me all the time, and it never seems to happen to you. I'm kind of gratified. <laughs> it totally happens to me all the time. <laughs> well, let's move on, and maybe it'll come to you. What kind of horrifying hobbies do you imagine Blanca has? This is from Cloudy. Oh God. I mean. <laughs> This is a direct shout out to a Sophie line, which is great. <laughs> Building birdhouses, I believe, was her guess for his horrifying hobby. Um, Wait, I thought of one. I'm sorry. Okay. Yes. <laughs> NFTs. Put the NFTs back in the box. Oh my god, I knew this would work. Also, NFTs <laughs> is 100% Blog's horrifying hobby. <laughs> yes, it totally is. Yes. Okay, that's Blog's horrifying hobby. <laughs> Um, Space NFTs. Yes. I think you could also just, like, answer the question of what horrifying hobby is, because it's more than one. One is definitely NFTs. Yeah. Uh, do you imagine Blanca's? And whatever I say, you could just put a bleep sound over it, and then that's yes. the answer. <laughs> oh, my God. Also, I think Blanc's horrifying hobbies are, like, horrifying, horrifyingly mundane. Mm. Like... I don't want to name a specific TV show because I don't want to offend any of our listeners who are very discerning people. But, like, I bet one of Blanc's horrifying hobbies is he watches whatever the futuristic equivalent of, like, Big Bang Theory is. <laughs> yes. I was like, what's, like, the worst TV show? And I was like, Family Guy. But no, Big Bang Theory also qualifies. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then a follow-up question from Cloudy. What kind of non-horrifying hobbies do you imagine Cullen has? Oh. Oh, taking hot baths. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, ba- oh, baking. Baking. I think he's oh, a baker. I can totally see him as a baker. Yeah. I can also see him as just like a collector of some kind of object. Like, probably not yes. coins, but like... I don't know, maybe, like, he's one of those people who collects, like, little shot glasses from every city he visits, and he doesn't ever use them, they just go in a cabinet somewhere. Oh, totally. Oh, my God. He's like those, like, older ladies I feel like I knew a lot of when I was growing up who had, like, a tiny silver spoon collection, and they would put it underneath a glass top table. Oh, my God. He has that. He has a tiny silver spoon collection. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. Uh, Cloudy also asks, got any favorite memes from the fandom? Oh, God. I I love everything. Every single meme-adjacent thing I have seen from this fandom. It's all so good. It's, I mean, it amazes us that like you're talking about the thing that we did at all, but then you make jokes about it, and they're hilarious. It's great. Yeah. I mean, like, going back to the earlier question, is Sophie going to get to bang the queen? I do like the Reina Valencia, comma, Wilf. That's, <laughs> That's widow wonderful. I'd like to fuck. <laughs> I like that you hesitated like you weren't going to say it, and then you said it. I know! I'm like, <laughs> for some reason, for some reason, it just seems more graphic in that, like, acronym. <laughs> um... Cloudy, I think one of my favorite memes is uh, Let Us Begin, the lettuce, like, the plant. Like, I, it makes me yep. laugh every time. <laughs> I agree. That's very good. Oh my god, also, finally, Phalathea. Phalathea <laughs> <laughs> is also great, yes. <laughs> oh god, alright. Um, Leonie asks, choose a character and tell me about their daily routine. Oh. I love this. Um... I'm going to pick Director Moon because I think uh, she has a great daily routine. I think 
Moon gets up at like 3.45 a.m. every day. Mm-hmm. And then Amanda is already there because Amanda has to get up at 2 a.m. and drive to like her apartment to let herself in and make her her smoothie. And then yeah. I think that she drinks her smoothie and then she like goes for a run. And while she's on her run, she's already on, like, you know, futuristic space Bluetooth, like, chewing people out. And then she goes, and she's, like, in meetings, and she's walking around places Aaron Sorkin-style in very spiky high heels. And then, like, you know, it's this very, like, corporate, very boring, like, high-powered office job. But then somewhere in the middle of her day, she, like, walks into a room, and a man has been beaten to a bloody pulp. (laughs) And she gets a little bit of blood on one of her beautiful spiky shoes, And then, like, she bends down and cleans it off with the tissue before she leaves. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. When you said Moon's daily routine, I immediately flashed to that Charlize Theron thing where she's like, just think about murder and walk. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's also Moon. Oh, also, um, I think, I'm sorry, oh. I just one more thing that I think is really important about Moon. I don't think she cooks, I don't think she has anything in her refrigerator. I think she has a personal chef who, like, prepares her meals and they are preheated and just, like, yes. left out at the exact time that she wants a meal. And then she yeah. just, like, walks into her kitchen and there's a meal. Yeah. Yeah. She makes me think of the line from Parasite, where it's like, of course she's nice, she's rich. <laughs> <laughs> and she's not um, nice. The anti-moon, I would say, okay, so a day in the life of Lieutenant Steptoe, um, who is just, like, probably one of the more normal people in this entire thing. (laughs) Yes. I think Lieutenant Steptoe, when she's at home, um, wakes up probably, like, before her husband. And, um, oh, yeah, by the way, she has a husband. We found that out on Patreon. (laughs) Um, uh, She wakes up before her husband and... uh, probably like does yoga or something and like halfway through doing yoga she'll fall asleep on the yoga mat (laughs) and then wake up and be like that'll do yes um and then you know she'll go off to whatever like base she's stationed at while she's not flying around and her main challenge throughout the day of like her work day is um figuring out whose leftovers are whose and like who ate her leftover pastrami and shit like that. Um, and dodging calls from her mother-in-law who has like questions for her that she really shouldn't be asking her. Uh, Mm -hmm. and then she goes home and her husband cooks or they go out and then they'll like catch up on whatever the equivalent of Scandinavian noir is, uh, and then go to bed. <laughs> Steptoe's life sounds so relaxing as compared to literally every other character in the show. I know. <laughs> um, the next question from uh, Leone is: What embarrassing email address did Sophie and Jane create for themselves when they were eleven? Oh my god! I have an answer for this one. I have it ready to go. Please. Dr. Jane Gonzalez at spacegmail.com. <laughs> it just seems like a thing she'd do. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, I think Sophie's is probably like... Um, Fast runner 75 at spacehotmail.com. <laughs> yes, it's beautiful. 
<laughs> um, Barbara asks, what do you think might have happened if Sophie actually had ended up going to Medea? Great question, Barbara. What a wonderful question. That's another AU I would like to have written, but um, alas, it did not happen. Let's no. see. Yeah. I don't know. I think, like, if Sophie had gone to Medea, it would have been, like, we see at the end of Time to Go that, like, Jane and Sophie are, like, how they have to, the pressure of, like, the situation in front of them means that they have to, like, confront their feelings about each other in some way. And I think yeah. that if Sophie had gone to Medea, that would have felt easy at first. It would have been, like, oh, this is, like, the little safe harbor that we have in the midst of, like, this new oppressive, certainly for Sophie, environment. And then I yeah. think it would have gotten so much harder. Because, yeah. uh... They would have been, like, on Medea, and we know from season one, uh, we, I, I'm doing a, a readerly analysis here, I'm not re- <laughs> revealing spoilers to you, this could not be true for season three, but in season one, um, it is heavily implied that Jane is looked on very positively on Medea, and mm-hmm. uh, we know from Moreau in season two that Sophie is looked on very negatively in Medea, and I think yes. that, uh, if they were both there... Especially because Jane pretty manipulatively is like, come to Medea for me. Come to Medea because I can't leave you here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it's a very understandable manipulation, right? But like, that, right. that's what she's saying. Um, I think it, that would have very easily led to just like intense tension between them. Yes. I'll co-sign all that. <laughs> I think that's right. It was, it was an impulse decision. Um, made by both of them. And in some ways, I think for both of these characters at this point in their lives, it's easier to deal with impulse decisions made by other people. Ooh. Oh, that's so true. Yeah. Um, All right. Take it away. Final question. Final question. Also from Barbara. I love this. Um, What do you think is Sophie's favorite thing about Jane and Jane's favorite thing about Sophie? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, oh. I think Sophie's favorite thing about Jane is something that she pretends to hate about Jane, which is Jane's sense of right and wrong. Mm. Um, I think that translates to seeing Jane as kind of like, oh, oh my god a fixed point like oh 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 wait okay the reason i just made that noise is because we've talked about this many times before that's um a thing that sherlock holmes says to john watson in one of the later short stories uh he says yes i think it's actually in the last short story he says to him like you were a fixed point in the chaos of the century and it's like yeah oh oh Oh. (laughs) (laughs) yes that and her mouth Um, I think Jane's favorite thing about Sophie is probably, like, also, I, I think it's it's telling that for both of them, it's something that they are also really annoyed by and really, like, uh, find fault with as well. Like, I think that she um, really loves Sophie's, like, ability to just, like, take thought and make it action. 
Um, because yeah. Jane, as we know, will think herself in circles um, and will really, like, I think procrastinate sometimes taking action because she, she wants to think in circles. Um, and Sophie, I think, I, I imagine that Jane, like, just looks at Sophie and is like, oh, that's someone who can do things. That's someone who is doing things and for whom doing things comes easily. Um, yeah. And I think that she, uh, going back to, like, that... Uh, I think a lot of her jealousy at, in their early years was also, like, kind of her feelings of affection at the same time. Like, I think that she is um, envious of that uh, that recklessness, even as she's really irritated by it, and she's like, maybe that's something that I want to be or something I want to have rather than something that, like, I am admiring in the person that I like. Yes. Yeah. Oh. God, what a wonderful place to end this. Thank you, Barbara. So lovely. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Those were such oh good God. questions. Those were <laughs> incredible questions. It is such a joy for us to, like, not just to make this show, but, like, to interact with you and to talk with you about it. It is really yes. wonderful. Everything, that, every review that you leave, every, like, joke that you send us, like, really just, like, makes me incredibly happy. So thank you so, yes. so much. The fan art, oh my God, everything. The fan art. Oh, it's so beautiful. Yeah. Um, um, so this is our last episode for a while on this feed. Um, we will be back. Uh, we have a month planned, but um, I think we should just say mid 2022. Yes. Um, you but, will see us. Season three will launch. Yes. Um, and in the meantime, if you miss us and you want to hear us uh, doing more off-the-cuff talking like so, um, what we're going to do for $5 and up Patreon supporters until we release a new episode is a book club! Don't you love it's a, a book, book club? club. <laughs> um, it is a very low-impact, low-pressure, low-stakes book club. Yes. I.e., we are going to be talking about the various texts, books, movies, etc., that sort of form our inspiration for the Pasithea powder. And you can read at home, you can watch at home, and you can listen to us before or after you do that, yep. whatever works best for you. We're, we're briefly going to, on our Patreon feed, just become like a talking about books and movies and things that have inspired us uh, to write Jane and Sophie. We'll be talking about those things and what we love about them, but we'll also be connecting it back to like Pasithea and like yeah. where, uh, where we're most interested and what we're most sort of excited to, um, to, to bring into our own creative work uh, from these yep. sources. Um, if you want like a taste of what those things are, our about page has always kind of been a list of just various <laughs> ingredients of things that we love. And so we're going to be drawing from that list and we'll also release um, a schedule uh, I think just on Twitter, right? So everyone can kind of yeah. get a glimpse. Um, and we will be releasing the first book club episode on our main feed, actually. So that yes. uh, if you want to know a little bit of what that's like and you're considering joining the Patreon, you will go, ah, okay, that's what that is. I want to hear Molly and Jackie talk about more weird uh, 20th century books. And <laughs> exactly. James in addition to book club on Patreon, we'll also have some other bonus content for the $10 plus yes. Valentine's related stuff. Who can say? Um, <laughs> can. So stay tuned. It's going to be a blast. Um, and as always, thank you so much for your support. If you would like to throw some support our way during the off months, again, we won't be charging you on Patreon until we resume season three. Our Ko-Fi is always there. Yes. Um, 
I think that's everything. Yeah, that's everything. Thank you, everyone, thank very you, much. Listeners. And um, happy holidays. No, no we thank no, you listening no. to this at any point. <laughs> uh, uh, stay safe out there. And uh, thank you and good night. <laughs> yes, exactly. Bye. <laughs>